0: You're listening to Running Around Charlotte, presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon, the Queen City's premier road race experience. One day, five events, with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Find out more or register at runcharlotte.com. Now, here are your hosts for Running Around Charlotte, Tim Rhodes and Jeffrey Cooper. Those of us who love to run, keep our eyes wide open as we take each step. We scan for hazards, watch our path, maybe enjoy some scenery along the way. Laura King Edwards did just the opposite, though. She trained for and ran Charlotte's half-marathon blindfolded. Five years later, she did it again, this time with the added stress of a new baby, a recently published book, and the loss of her little sister Taylor to Batten's disease, a rare disorder which started her on her blind journey uh, running five years before. The races, the book, and her sister's battle opened Laura's eyes to a new purpose, to fight for recognition and research for those rare diseases that get so little money and attention. Welcome to the Running Around Charlotte podcast, Laura.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So first, tell us about your sister Taylor and Batten's disease.
1: So Taylor was 16 years my junior. I grew up in Charlotte and was at soccer practice uh, my junior year of high school the night that she was born. And Taylor was the surprise that none of us ever really Realized how much we needed until she came along. She was a gift to our family. She was a a great friend to me, despite the huge age difference. And Taylor was born healthy. She was this bright, vivacious, funny little girl, full of energy, really smart. And then some things started to go wrong around first grade. She started to have trouble with math. And then after that, she started to lose her night vision. And this diagnostic odyssey that was shorter for us than a lot of families ended with Batten disease or CLM1 disease. It's a rare brain disease. It's universally fatal right now. We're trying to change that. But it um, often starts with problems learning in school. And blindness is one of the hallmark symptoms that really leads people to go to the doctor. It also causes uh, cognitive issues. They lose their ability to walk and talk. They suffer seizures. And again, it is universally fatal. Uh, but Taylor was not going to let bat and disease take things away from her as much as possible. So Girls on the Run came to Taylor's school at the Fletcher School in Charlotte. And fifth grader came home from school with a sign-up sheet. She's totally blind or almost totally blind and just informs our parents that she's going to sign up. And my parents kind of look at her like, okay, silently thinking she's blind. How is she going to do Girls on the Run? Mm-hmm. But that's really where my story as a runner began
0: it's um it's one thing to participate in an event or run an event, but without your site. How do you do it?
1: So I always, I always wondered about that. Watching Taylor, I've, I had the opportunity to see her cross the finish line of two 5Ks. The first was at the then Thunder Road Marathon in 2008. It was the Jingle Jog 5K. It was a really cold day. I will never forget how cold it was. It was in December at the time. I remember. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you were there and watching her cross the finish line of that first 5K was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Just to see a 10 year old overcome so many obstacles and challenges. But I wasn't really sure how she had been able to do it. And to be quite honest, Tim, I think that you almost have to do it to understand what it's like. And that's exactly what I did five years later when I trained to become essentially a a blind runner, putting on a blindfold. And I was getting ready at that time for the half marathon in 2013.
2: Wow. So half marathon is hard enough as it is just moving 13.1 miles, but without being able to see, that is amazing. Um, So your sister's journey inspired you to create Taylor's Tale. Can you tell us more about your nonprofit and the things that you do and hope to do in the future?
1: Sure. So Taylor's Tale is, I say grassroots, but we're doing a lot of really big things. Grassroots just in the sense that we do have a smaller budget. We have no paid staff. We're 100% volunteer run. We've been around for more than 10 years now, based here in Charlotte, but we have an impact worldwide. Uh, The thing that I'm probably most proud of is that we funded gene therapy research at UNC Chapel Hill that was so promising it got picked up by a clinical stage company called Abiona Therapeutics and they received what's called the IND, the Investigational New Drug Approval from the FDA, just about a week or so ago. And what that means is that in 2019 we are most likely going to clinical trial and we are treating children like Taylor with this amazing new gene therapy that could be potential treatment for many, many different diseases. So we're also really involved in rare disease advocacy. We have a law in North Carolina that was the first of its kind in the nation and it's now known as Taylor's Law. Uh, we also just hosted an international meeting at Duke University or just off campus uh, to develop a, really a standard of care, clinical care guidelines for this disease. And amazingly, they don't exist. I mean, when you go to your doctor today and you have a common disease, they kind of have a playbook to work with. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that for CLN1 disease or Batten disease. So Taylor's Tale is 100% sponsoring that effort as well.
0: So the the... The medications, is that the right word, that they're that they're creating or producing? And
1: uh, medication, so the, the clinical care guidelines, stem cell, the, I'm sorry, not stem cell, the gene therapy will be a, a treatment, a whereas treatment. the clinical care guidelines, really just a playbook, and there are lots of different things. Batten disease is a brain-based disease, but it mm-hmm. affects every system in the body. So there are lots of different specialists that get involved, everybody from your primary care to neurologist, uh physical therapy, occupational therapy. So really bringing all of those people together to come up with a guideline or a plan that's going to work for that child to manage the symptoms.
0: So the the, the first question I would kind of naturally ask is, is it, a, is it a cure or is it something that just is there to prolong life or to make life more comfortable while you're battling the disease? Or how do the, how do the treatments, what's the effect of their treatments?
1: So the clinical care guidelines are really to improve quality of life, mm-hmm. which is a big deal for yeah. children like Taylor. The quality of life as the disease progresses does start to, to really sharply decline. Um, the gene therapy is an actual treatment. And I will tell you, Tim, that we don't often use the word cure. Uh, if we think about it, with more common diseases, there's really not a cure for for a form of cancer, there's not a cure right. for heart disease per se, but we have lots mm-hmm. of really incredible treatments that can not only um, prolong life, but really make quality of life incredible as well. And so that's what we're continually working toward, yeah. is treatments that give children more than what they have today and a really great chance at life.
0: I, I, just as a, you know... The, the, the compassionate side of me—I'm I, I, always like, "Can we cure it? Can we fix it? Can we solve it?" And so, um, that's fantastic. Um, so the the clinical trials are coming up. Um, tell me, like, you're hopeful, obviously.
1: I am. I I think about the prospect for our the prospects for our family when Taylor was diagnosed in 2006, which compared to today is really feels like the Stone Age a doctor right here in Charlotte, just doing his job, geneticist, told my parents essentially to take Taylor home, love her, make happy memories, and that's about all they could do. There mm. there there was there were no other options. And, you know, gene therapy is probably the closest thing to a cure that we've come to as far as correcting the disease at its, at its root cause. And I'm excited about that. I, I am sad that this progress has come about a decade too late to save my sister's life. But what an incredible legacy mm-hmm. that families like ours are going to walk into a doctor's office, get a really devastating diagnosis, but suddenly it's not so devastating because they have options.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what we all hope for is to 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 leave with a legacy, something that people can remember us by and 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 fond memories. Um Absolutely. You um you were inspired to run blindfold. Um, I remember that morning. Um, tell us about that. Like, what, I, I, I understand the motivation, but like, tell us about the logistics. Finding somebody what, uh, to. How do you <laughs> run
2: thirteen point one miles blindfolded? Because I can barely do it when I can see.
1: <laughs> so. It's not easy. I'll start out by saying that and and probably the thing that was hardest at the beginning maybe a surprise to to you and when i when I closed my eyes because I didn't start out training with an actual blindfold, we wanted to take baby steps. It took me about five months to train for that first race. And the first thing I did was just simply close my eyes. We started on a, a middle school track to be on a closed, safer um, and be in a safer space. And if you ever think about, that feeling of getting to the top of a roller coaster and you stop for a minute and then all of a sudden you you dive. <laughs> and sometimes, particularly if you're not on roller coasters very often, your stomach ends up in your throat or your head or somewhere it's not supposed to be. And that's exactly yep. how it felt when I first closed my eyes but and I was moving because we don't realize – when we have it, that our eyes not only help us see, but they're responsible for our spatial awareness. They help our, they help our brain and our body understand where we are and relative. And that's all of those things that are relative to us in the space. And when you don't have your vision, uh, that crazy things happen, like your stomach ending up in, in your, and your throat. And I was, I got dizzy, but my guy had a really wonderful guide, um, who was my guide for both races actually. And he encouraged me on that first lap around the track. And by the end of the night, we were, we were getting up to some speed. I mean, we were being able, we were doing maybe 10 minute miles, which for first night of running blind was, I was thinking was pretty good.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: (laughs) So you asked about logistics. We, we did use a bungee cord. And it was a bungee cord, which is a little maybe a little bit different, but that's the bungee cord that Taylor used in her first 5K. We showed up at the race, and as everybody knows, on the morning of the Charlotte Marathon, it's a crush of people uptown. And we finally got into a parking space in a deck uptown and realized we didn't have the jump rope that she had been training with all fall at oh, school. No. So, <laughs> but my husband, the engineer, had bungee cords and and the back seat or in the trunk. And so the bungee cord has really Become that lifeline not only for my sister but in my blind runs it way as well.
0: You still have that bunchy cord, I bet.
1: I used it in 2018 in the Charlotte Half Marathon, and it was the same one. I was I was very particular about it. It's uh, it's special.
0: What's the teamwork taught you?
1: So, <laughs> running blind taught me a lot of things. The teamwork was certainly one of those things. Andrew Swistak, who's my guide, we developed such an incredible connection. I will tell you that Andrew's second son was born the summer in 2013 when we were training the first time. And so there were some nights where his wife said, hey, buddy, you got to stay at home and help me with this newborn. Mm -hmm. So my husband would stand in as a pinch runner, if you will. And we had some issues. He was was taking me over manhole covers and curbs and things that Andrew was really great at navigating me around pretty Mm -hmm. naturally. So the teamwork teamwork aspect is something that you really have to work at. You have to develop a rapport and a rhythm with your guide. It's a lot of talk. You have to be incredibly verbal. I mean, Andrew and I would would get down to get it down to a science where he'd be able to get me to do a 90 degree turn untethered because our communication was that good. But you really do have to have great teamwork. And I'd say a T word that's more important than teamwork is trust. Because when you close your eyes and you start moving any in space at all, much less on a road where there's there's live traffic, you're really putting your safety in somebody else's hands and trust was a huge part of, of what we did together.
0: So I, I'm just thinking of it, like all the things that we don't think of as runners that, or, or we think of them subconsciously, whether it's a, a crack or a pothole or just some uneven pavement or a turn or... Add to that, you're running in a group of 5,000 other participants who are completely oblivious to your situation with a blindfold on. They're not even paying attention. And people cut people off, and they elbow, and (laughs) they push. (laughs) And so now you're trying to figure out, okay, how long of a stride can I take before I trip over the person that's in front of me or the person behind me and, and you lose that sense of awareness from your sight that maybe you can pick up audibly, but maybe not.
2: But then you also have that construction because they're always building something in Charlotte. Uh, so. Always,
1: always. And that has never changed. Well, I will say, One thing that's interesting, you, your hearing gets much more acute when you can't see. Or at least that's what's happened, what happened with me. All of my other senses became more heightened because I think they, it's almost like they understood. They had to step in and make up for the vision I didn't have. So probably the moment that was most surreal for me in the 2013 half marathon with the exception of the finish line was at about I think it was about mile 10 I know the course has changed some since then but it was down Queens Road West mm. and we were at that point in the race completely alone we had taken a 30 minute early start for safety that year and we had surpassed all of the the walkers very early in the race it was really cool actually we we led the led the race until about mile 11 or 12 but my guide, Andrew, decided at that point that I should run untethered for a good stretch. So I ran most of Queens Road West. I think it was untethered. And the way that I anchored myself was I found the painted white lines in the middle of the road. So it's two lanes on either side of the median there. And I just, I kept that anchor. And Andrew was probably 10 or 15 feet behind me. And I I did most of that stretch untethered. But you, you think, probably you're thinking it's crazy. You, there's no way you can feel those painted white lines, you know, through your shoes, especially somebody like me who's wearing the, the ultra cushioned Brooks <laughs> Lister. <laughs> there, lots of cushioning in those shoes, but, um, it, it was, something that i found very early on as a blind runner i mean the the rain felt different on my skin the those painted white lines felt different the breeze feels different on your on your face and and you learn to take in all of those sensory details to ground yourself in space and move forward
2: Mm -hmm. would you think would you suggest to our listeners to try running blind one time just to see just to feel like what you felt do you think it's something that they could benefit from
1: i would say start by trying to walk A couple of yards blind Mm -hmm. or even just close your eye. What I would actually start with is just closing your eyes, sit in a chair completely still, close your eyes and just kind of clear your mind. Don't even think about anything. Just start to let your body take in those sensory details around you and they'll pop up one by one. You know, how does the, how does your body feel in the chair? How does the air feel in the room? What are the noises that start to come to mind that maybe you didn't hear? Before, when when you had all of this visual noise, I would start with that. Um, then you could move to walking, and if you try to run, I would just say, be really safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Find a friend.
1: Find a friend.
0: <laughs> you um, you have a book out called Run to the Light. It was released uh, the the week of the Navant Health Charlotte Marathon last year. Um, kind of a busy time of year for you, and some things <laughs> going on. Tell us about that whole. Time frame.
1: So sometimes I look back and wonder if the fall of 2018 even happened or if it was somebody else's life and I was watching it because <laughs> it, it was that much of a, a blur. So in September of 2018, within the span of six days, my first child was born, my son Jack, and he was born um, here in Charlotte. And six days later in the same hospital, just a few floors down, Taylor and her battle with Batten disease ended. She was in the inpatient hospice unit at at Novant Health, mm. and I think that I think that some higher power brought our families together for those two experiences. And we sometimes say that that Jack and Taylor almost passed each other coming and going. But after after losing my sister, which was, of course, a, an emotional and, and very difficult experience. Mm-hmm had a lot of other things going on that that I had to put my mind to and say I was going to focus and make them happen. So not too long later, about five and a half weeks later, my my book, Run to the Light, was released. And then just two days later was the Navant Health Charlotte Marathon, which I had always planned to run blindfolded again. Of course, I decided to do that before I realized I was pregnant early in the year. And my personality was just that I was going to figure it out. So I actually went to my doctor for the first time in February of 18 and informed her that I was going to run a half marathon blindfolded six weeks postpartum and she was just going to need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She kind of looked at me like I was crazy and said, okay, we're going to figure it out. So it was, it was, it was an incredibly busy, emotional time, but it's something I'll never forget. And I I would do it all over again. Uh, The book is something that was a, a long, the end of a long journey, the day that it came out. And nothing about book publishing is quick. The The writing of the book was actually pretty fast. So not long after I crossed the finish line of the half marathon in 2013, I realized I needed to continue to do something with the story. That that moment at the finish line at the end of the race was the most amazing, surreal thing I had ever experienced. and And I had to keep it going. But I also felt like if I just repeated that experience over and over again it wouldn't hold the same magic so that's why in 2014 I started a quest to run a race in all 50 states for Taylor now there are a lot of there are 50 states clubs there are a lot of people doing a 50 state quest and so I realized it's not as original maybe as running blind it's also not as, as crazy or dangerous maybe a little bit more expensive. But for me, it was the natural next step in the journey to take her story outside of Charlotte within the running community and take it all over the country. And part of that physical geographic journey for me was realizing that I needed to write this book. So in a caffeinated, sleepless span of about 10 months, I I wrote the book, Run to the Light. And I tell people it's a 240-page love letter to my little sister, but also to anybody else who has ever faced something difficult in their life. So Run to the Light is really a its a universal story of love, mm-hmm. loss, but also what it means to believe. And one of the first things I tell people is that whether or not you've heard of bat disease, whether or not you're a runner, there's something in this book for you because All of us, whether or not you realize it right this second, go through something difficult, something where we're (laughs) going to have to dig deep within ourselves and and find the strength and the motivation and the heart to go on.
2: Absolutely. That sounds like a really, really good book to read, even if you're not a runner, no matter what you're going through, always having that positive attitude and outlook. (laughs) So... I know you said uh, 50 50 states, 50 races, but do you plan on coming back to the Charlotte Marathon this year?
1: The Charlotte Marathon has always been my hometown race. It's it will always be special to me. It's it's where I became a blind runner. It was the impetus for a book and a and a, and a movement, really. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do plan to run the Charlotte Marathon again. I haven't I haven't ironed out my all of my race plans for 2019, so I haven't signed up yet, but <laughs> it is definitely on my short list.
2: Okay. Well, we hope to see you out there for sure. And um where can we learn more about you and your book and what you're doing for battens disease?
1: So probably the easiest thing to do is to head to my website. It's laurakingegwards.com. If you're interested in getting the book, um, I always encourage people to support our local independent bookseller, Park Road Books. But there's the dirty word Amazon and the, the book industry, <laughs> bookselling industry. It's really easy. You can get it on your doorstep next day. So that's one way to get it as well. And then tailorstale.org is the website for Taylor's Tale. And the work that we are doing continues to be critical for everybody fighting a rare disease. And just in North Carolina alone, that numbers about one million people. And then that doesn't include all of the people who love and care for them.
0: It's amazing. I, um, I never had the pleasure of meeting your sister, but I feel like her spirit lives on through you. And I know a little bit about her spirit um, through knowing you. And I appreciate you opening that window to her for us and being a part of our podcast at Running Around. It means a lot to us. Thank you. Well,
1: Tim, thank you. And I will say the last thing is just that, you know, thank you for putting on the Charlotte Marathon. It's a it's a great hometown race. And without that experience running blind in 2013, I don't know where my journey would be today. It's, it's been a lifesaver for me and will always be special.
0: Thank
2: you. And you're welcome. Thank you. We'll see you all
0: next week. The Running Around Charlotte podcast is presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Registration for the November 16th Novant Health Charlotte Marathon, half marathon, relay, 5K, and one mile events is available now at runcharlotte.com. Running Around Charlotte with your host Tim Rhodes and Jeffrey Cooper is produced in partnership with well-run media and marketing. Listen for new episodes of Running Around Charlotte released every week.